0: Good morning. How is everyone? Uh, I hope everyone is doing well. If you brought a Bible, you can open it up. Uh, We're going to jump into the book of 2 Corinthians. We'll start with chapter 5. Use one verse there, um, kind of as a takeoff. Um, We'll probably use a lot of the Bible to create the point. That we're going to emphasize this morning as you're turning there to 2 Corinthians 5. Did you bring a Bible? Right? Do we bring Bibles to church? Is that okay? Right? Let, let me see. Ra- raise your hand if you brought a Bible with you. Right? I don't care if it's on a device, if it's on an iPad. Right? Okay. If it's on an, an iPad or phone or something like that, I trust you. Right? To be scrolling through the scriptures and not Instagram or something. Um, but as I've been really like, Preparing to come and be with you guys. And, and I think it's important to say that. Um, just don't preach what I want to preach or even just messages, all right? Like hot sermon.com, all right? Type nonsense. Uh, but really like fasting and praying to try to ready my heart. Man, Lord, what are you saying? Like, I want to come and, and contribute something that's by your voice. Um, I felt a drawing to certain passages and. The, the phrase kept coming up in my heart as I prayed, and, and it's what we're going to be after this morning. All right? As, as you're turned there, um, as we go to Second Corinthians 5, I always want to say what an honor it is to be with you guys. We absolutely love your pastors, Keith and Julie, and, and the kids, and uh, Isabel and Abishai, everybody. They've become family to us over the years. It's amazing. To run with you guys, man, we honor you. Um, you know that. I, I say that, you know, for the sake of uh, any who might not know, we really love them and are appreciative of what God has done between us. But as as I set myself to pray and to ready my heart, this phrase kept coming up in my heart, and uh, it's something that I I'm not going to be able to accomplish. It's something that, uh, regardless of the financial stature that someone may have in the room, you're not going to be able to buy this. Um, your relational equity, it n- n- doesn't matter who you know, all of these types of things. Uh, it's something that either God, by his own grace and the power of his spirit, is going to accomplish in us and make real, um, or there is really no hope of exiting the situation that we're going to describe. Um, and by that, what I mean is the phrase that kept coming up in my heart is delivered from desire. Desire delivered from desire. You see, in 2 Corinthians 5, verse 17, Paul, he he makes this this statement. He's describing things that God has done and the desire that God has, because God has a desire. There's something God is doing. Uh, It's not random, but it's actually very pointed, and God is incredibly strategic as he is superintending history to drive it all towards the conclusion of what it is that he says he wants, right? God is a family man. We understand that. God is a family man, and he wants a family that he can share himself with forever. Part of that is presenting his son with the bride that he deserves, right? The bride, the bride of Christ, the church this suitable helper, we learn from Genesis two. This comparable companion that will rule with him in the place of eternity, alongside of him. Uh, when the bride has made herself ready, Revelation nineteen seven says, then the marriage supper of the Lamb will come. All right? We realize the longing in the last days. Um, every other cry, every other desire. Uh, every other lesser lover will have been offloaded from the heart of the bride and revelation twenty-two seventeen tells us that the spirit and the bride will finally be crying out for a singular thing or the same thing but we have this reference to the bride and, and in consideration of this bride of this church of what god desires and what god is doing in order to accomplish or to arrive at the destination that he desires in second corinthians 5 paul makes this statement in verse 17 right now, now this is it's familiar language for us right it, it, what's preceding verse 17 is you know we no longer regard people according to the flesh we used to do those things right we used to just simply and only view people according to a fleshly capacity. He's like, we don't do that anymore because God has changed the game. And he says, if any man is in Christ, that man is now a new creation. Another translation would say a new creature. The idea that Paul is stating here is that because of the desire that God has, God has done something. His desire led him to do something. And the something that he has done is helping to accomplish the overall goal that he's after. Because God wants a people for his son. This people for Jesus or this people that are being formed for Christ, right? This comparable companion, this suitable helper. Paul's reference in 2 Corinthians 5 is that now... Now, because of what God has done, because of the desire that God had, any man, now man is universal, meaning man, woman, right, young, old, any person that responds to what God has done and gives their life to Jesus, they are now considered to be in Christ, right? This in Christ is not some worldly distinction, it's not a religious category. Um, it's not a subcompartment of religiosity that we just prefer the expression of Christianity better or above all of the other, right, religious compartments. No, no, it's none of these things. Jesus, in John 3, in speaking with Nicodemus, he says, unless a man is born again, born again, Nicodemus is obviously confused. He's like, you can't tell me that the goal is to come back out of the womb of my mother, like... He's like, no, no, this born-again experience is something that has to be from above. It's something that has to be by God's Spirit because unless the Spirit actually does something real in you to radically transform you, this is what we would call the born-again experience. The born-again experience is actually a work of the Trinity. It's the Father that has a desire, and by the work of of the Holy Spirit, the Holy Spirit reveals the Son, because the desire of the Father is to honor the Son that He loves. We know that the Son is right now seated at the right hand of the Father, awaiting the time when the Father will release Him so that He can have what we all know as His second coming. He will come riding on the cloud. He will have a kingdom. His dominion will be unending. This world and this age and all of the kingdoms of this world will become the kingdoms of our God. We we understand. And so the Father has a desire to honor the Son and to reveal him to the people of the world by the power of the Spirit. We see the working of the Trinity involved in the born-again experience. And Jesus is telling Nicodemus you actually have to be born again it can't just be a fleshly or an intellectual acknowledgement it can't just be that we attend meetings that we give in offerings right the idea of American Christianity would tell you that you can satisfy the demonstration of your faith by attending services by praying for your meals by once in a while giving in an offering all of these things according to the standard or the requirement of what Jesus communicates to enter the kingdom are not enough. He says you have to be born again. You have to be born again. Right now, we also must take note, Nicodemus is a religious leader. He's a Pharisee, right? He's one of the elect. He's one of the upper echelon, right? He's one of the ones that are at least Seemed to believe to have it all together. And even he himself, with all of his religiosity and his perfected exteriors and images, considering Jesus' standards, seems totally lost. But Jesus says you have to be born again. Because God has actually done something in order to produce a brand new people. God has not issued grace for a cosmetic upgrade to the old person. God has not issued power so that we can just repaint the walls on the old house. God has not laid down his own life, sinless, unblemished, perfect, sacrificial offering. God has not laid down his own life just so that we can kind of redecorate our old life. But according to Paul in 2 Corinthians 5, what God has dreamed of and what he has done in order to make sure that he can have everything that he's dreaming of is he has now provided the provision for you and I to experience an exodus. He's given us power for a Passover to come out from one reality and to be translated as Colossians would communicate. You've been translated. You've been transferred out of the kingdom or the domain of darkness unto or into the kingdom of light. Now under the dominion of the son that the father loves and longs to honor with all things. Paul is communicating that this is not just some religious image, but that God has actually made provision for you and I to become a brand new person. And the idea of this brand new person, the language that Paul would use is you and I, those of us that are born again, right? So by the Father's desire, the power of the Spirit, the Son has been unveiled to us. We've seen the person of Jesus. And regardless whether we feel like that glimpse was small or great, we've seen enough in order to know. We now realize that he is worth everything. And we're going to give him our life. The Spirit is empowering surrender. The Spirit is giving grace to bring our lives subject to the one that we've now pledged our allegiance to and we have now confessed is king. And so Paul says, if this is the reality of your life situation, you have been born again, then you are now in Christ. And being in Christ means you're a new creature. You're a new version of human. You are not what you used to be. The old man has been laid to rest. For if any man is in Christ, that man is now a new creation. That man is now a new creature. Old things have passed, and all things have become new. This has been done by God himself, reconciling us back to God in Christ. Paul is saying, if you are in Christ, you are to be something entirely different than what you used to be there's been power for a passover he's made provision for the experience of our exodus and obviously i'm using language from the days and the slavery of egypt intentionally to paint a picture for us in the days when for almost 400 years the children of israel experienced a bondage an enslavement they were taken captive Pharaoh ruled in the place of Egypt. It, it, it's the painting of a picture, the reality of a, a power, of a principality, of a wicked ruler, governing forces of darkness, and the kingdom of wickedness itself, enslaving creation. Paul would say, "Don't be conformed to the pattern of this world in Romans 12:2. First, John 5:19, John would tell us, "Beloved, there are two categories. Right? Either we belong to God, we've come alive to His Son, we're living by the power of an abiding Holy Spirit, a divine life that has now possessed us and aligned us with God's heart and His desires, or, he says, beloved, the whole world is under the sway of the wicked one. Paul's language in Ephesians 2 would say, all of us at one point lived under the tyranny of the powers of the air the overindulgence of satisfying our lives in an ongoing way with the lustful cravings of the flesh or the lustful thoughts of the mind. So God chooses to raise up a man by the name of Moses, right? We're all familiar with the story of Moses, right? Moses is born in the days of an Egyptian captivity. He's raised by a particular system that God is going to have him confront. But there comes a season of Moses' life where he must be called out. He must be pulled away. There has to be a separation of sorts because the system that Moses was raised in began to gain traction in Moses' heart. And he just didn't live in it, but it began to live in him. What he was raised by. What he was surrounded by. He just didn't live in it, but it began to live in him. And we know the story. Moses comes out and the Egyptian is fighting with the Hebrew. And it says that he slays the Hebrew and buries him in the sand. And other people find out. And God pulls him out. Because eventually there must be this come out and be separate. Eventually God's desires have a people for himself be ye holy even as i am holy the dream of god to repopulate the cities and nations of the earth with a radically transformed people with a people that have been redeemed they've been reconfigured they're a new version of humanity they are a sign and a wonder because they are something entirely different than what the fleshly man or the system of the world is able to actually produce. They are bright, they shine, they burn, they've come out, they are separate, they are provoking because the world recognizes they can't produce a product by the power of what God has done. This new creation is one of the means It's one of the channels that God is actually glorifying himself in and using to ready the earth for the day when he will return his son. And our hearts as a new creature are being readied for the return of King Jesus. And now our lives are being used in an instrumental way as God is literally scattering us all over the world. And planting us in the soil, every continent, every nation, every city. So that we together, as this family of new creatures, can help in the dream that God desires. And Paul is saying that there's actually power to produce this people. And Moses gets ripped out, but he comes back. And he comes back. And when he comes back, there's the confrontation of kingdoms. And the confrontation of kingdoms is so that God can establish himself. Right? God is. It's the way he refers to himself. The one who is and was and is to come. He is. And what he is, none can compare to. And so this isn't like a demonstration of power between two really amazing opponents and we're just looking to see who wins out in the end. This isn't like blow for blow, tit for tat. This is not the story that the Exodus situation is actually communicating to us. Moses comes back and it's not for some rival or some competition, but he comes back so that God can expose and make a mockery of all of the idols of Egypt and all of the gods of Egypt. They are put out on display, and they are made a mockery of, as through nine, ten different plagues, God establishes himself as the one who is the most high. Every bondage that they experience, God conquers. Every limitation due to wickedness that has governed the experience of their lives, God overturns. He issues power through signs wonders and a demonstration of himself to a people that completely overrides the seeming authority that pharaoh enjoys and god comes to show who he is and in showing who he is he defeats darkness and calls a people out of the prison cell of wickedness and he says come out Come out and worship me. Come out and be my possession. Come out and be holy. Come to the mount, because I long to be with you, to meet with you. And Moses leads the charge. And God demonstrates himself above and over the wickedness of Pharaoh, the system of the age, and the powers that governed what was the old experience of our life. Because this is the consideration that Paul is issuing. As a new creature, that means we are not the old version of ourselves. The old version of ourselves lived under the tyranny of the self-life and the self-life was being constantly infused by the influence of powers, by wickedness, and what we knew to be natural was because of the nature that we inherited as a consequence of the garden. All of us had a nature that was natural, and the world system around us constantly conditioned us Or we could use this term, discipled us to believe that the appetites that were associated with our old life had a right to be consumed or to be fulfilled. That there was a pursuit that was normal because what was sourcing our life was a nature that we were all born with. This is the consideration in Galatians 5 where Paul says we are no longer just simply natural, alone, according to the self-life or the old nature. He says we're now a spirit people. And as a spirit people, we are now led by the spirit because we live in the spirit. And our nature has been radically transformed. Our appetites have been reconfigured because the life that we now live is a life that has now been given to us by the power and the grace of God's own spirit that is now alive on the inside of us. Because those of us that have pledged our allegiance, we've given our confession, we've bowed our knee, we've surrendered our life, God has filled us with his spirit. And in filling us with his spirit, he has conquered the old man and the nature associated with the old man. This is not a move that was counter. It wasn't like, oh, well, if you jab, I'll jab. This was not a move that was counter. It was a move that conquered. Paul says in Romans 6, in the consideration of entertaining sin or enjoying it because God has now given grace. And I love the way that the Passion Translation writes it. He says, how can we even be talking about sin? You've moved out of that house. You no longer live there. It is no longer your, pl- your primary place of residence. Why do you think that you can vacation there from time to time whenever you've determined that it's appropriate? Paul is saying that because of what God has done, we have now experienced a wild and powerful transformation. And part of this wild and powerful transformation is a radical reconfiguring Of our nature to where now certain things that are natural are because of this new nature that we have so now according to Matthew 5 verse 6 which is actually Jesus on the side of the Mount issuing the Beatitudes Jesus says blessed are you when you hunger and thirst for righteousness because of what God has done In the transforming of who we are as a person, there is a reconfiguring of our nature, which means we don't have the same nature that we used to have. The things that used to be normal because it was natural are no longer normal because our nature has been radically changed and God has given us his life, and now his spirit is what's sourcing this new life that I now live. So now there are things that are normal because they're natural to God. And this is what God considers to be righteousness. It's a quality and power of life that is only made possible by the grace of Through his spirit that he has deposited into the human experience it's a life that we cannot live without him sourcing the expression of it this is right a life in the power and quality of what reveals God himself this is righteousness and he says because of what I'm doing and what I've done you can now hunger and you can thirst for righteousness. Because before you used to hunger and thirst for other things, there were cravings associated with your old way of living, there were demands that your appetites put on your life because of the consistent conditioning or discipleship that you brought on your life. There was a way that you trained your appetites that it was okay to be satisfied. But in this thought process, Paul says, because you are no longer what you used to be, there is now the issuing of power by God's grace because of his own life through his spirit that he has shared with us that actually transforms us from the inside which then gets demonstrated on the outside and because of this new nature, there's now a new hunger. Because of this new nature, there's now a new thirst. Because of this new nature, it now demonstrates or expresses itself with a new way of living. Because God's not just trying to paint the old house. He's completely demolished the old house. He's entirely laid the old man in the grave. And we too have been raised up to new life. See, I I, I think the problem with with all of this is that sometimes we learn to settle and what I, what I mean by that is we're not like Jesus because we just learn, like, Christian tricks, right? It's not just the false or the hollow attempts at activities that make us like him. We, we, we have to come to a place where we realize Jesus did what he did because of the power source of his nature that fueled all of His life, that it was all of his life that was lived in a certain power or quality. And so the demonstrations or the exploits or the activities were being fueled by something. That there was a power source that was at work that actually animated this man that was filled with God's Spirit. But for us, too many times, we learn how to do things that only affect us on the outside right and unto this Jesus even himself in Matthew 23 he rebukes the mess out of, out of these like these pharisees and he's like you guys are whitewashed tombs and you know it you're hollow on the inside you're bankrupt you're full of dead men's bones he said you have perfection on the outside but corruption alive on the inside. And you're not actually paying attention to the real issues. You've learned through your religiosity how to suppress the dealings of what's going on on the inside in order to put up the imagery through the activities of what people appreciate on the outside. Because this we do know. What happens on the outside is super impressive to people right and, and Christians just have like this strange thing with like wanting to always like prove to other Christians how gifted they are right like, like, like I don't understand well I do understand in certain ways because it, it really builds influence and, and it builds platforms and it raises money and it does all kinds of stuff but let me just share with you like other people might think gifting is super impressive but let me tell you what God thinks is super impressive transformation God thinks transformation is super impressive because the gospel is the actual creating of a new people, right? The the product of the gospel is a people that look like Jesus. It's a people that have been pulled out of the world. They've come out of the slavery and the tyranny, which is The association with Egypt. They've been pulled out of the slavery and the tyranny. They are radically rearranged. They are reconfigured. They now live according to God's life that is on the inside of them, that has now become the power source to, in an ongoing way, conform them to the image or the pattern because Jesus is the pattern, He is the provision. The provision is a person and that person has become the pattern. And the pattern is God's desire. He is the first fruits alive from the dead. He is the firstborn on behalf of us so that he himself can have preeminence in all things. And when he rose, so did the pathway for all of our transition and transformation. Paul says our life now is being sourced by something entirely different. It's not the system of the age. It's not the tyranny or the influence of powers. It's not the captivity of our fleshly demands where we satisfied ourselves by whatever it was that was the object of our appetite. We just went looking for whatever the appetite had a demand for, and therefore, we felt justified because it was what was normal to us. Paul says, no, 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 that's not us anymore. We're something totally different. And because we're something totally different, now, if any man is in Christ, old things pass away. Well, this is the problem when we don't properly deal with old things is we learn how to do new things and we suppress old things. We learn how to hide them very well. We learn how to become cover-up artists. We learn the perfection of religiosity. We learn how to keep decorated the imagery or the ideas or opinions that we want to be formed about us. And we long and we hope in desperation for the moment where like the proper exposure doesn't happen to the corruption that I know is still alive on the inside. And to make it really simple, the phrase that I heard in my heart again is delivered from desire. At times, my, my kids are in the house, and I have a lot of them, so it's there's just an innumerable amount of things that they could be getting themselves into. Um, We have five, 12 and under. So there's a lot of them. And there's just no telling what what they're doing, what they get into, whatever, they're kids, and it's cool. But there are times when they do things that they know they're not supposed to do. And family meeting, we all got to sit it down and, you know, it's like, okay, here comes dad again. And so dad sits down with everybody and I'm like, guys, listen, you can't do that. And sometimes it's super funny because my kids will respond to me, and they'll say things like, but dad, I think it's really fun. I'm like, nobody asked you. Like, like I didn't say, like, don't do it if you don't think it's fun. Like, but anybody who thinks it's fun, like, you can still do it. I'm like, no, no, no. Like, here's the values of the house. Like, here's the expectations. Like, th- these are the ideas of what is going to govern our experience together in this house and all of the interactions that we're going to have, right? And there are certain things that are just not okay to do. Sometimes they're like, but I want to. i like, man, look, did you hear what I just said? Like, are you for real? But what I've learned over time is that me telling them not to do something Doesn't actually deliver them from the desire to do what they're doing. (laughs) Right? And sometimes we want to bring legislation, right? We want the law to come down. But wasn't that the issue with the law in the Old Testament? Right? We just find ways around being properly exposed by the law. We know that we're not supposed to do certain things, but rather than clinging to God in dependency, they found ways to keep a proper external or image alive so that they could still be satisfied or enjoy life certain ways by the corruption that was still alive on the inside but that that wasn't the deal god wasn't trying to issue the law so that he could get perfectionism in the externals he was trying to establish the law so that he could get proper dependency to deliver them from what the corruption was producing in the internals but man just has this desire to perfectly paint the outside without properly dealing with the very real desires at times that we're experiencing on the inside. And it's like, well, Mike, let me just tell you, bro, that doesn't apply to me because, bless God, I'm saved. Okay. Um, th- then why is it at times... That even in our saved experience, we still have these appetites. We still have these desires that long to pull our lives in certain directions. They, they ache, they crave satisfaction in particular ways that maybe we with a head knowledge know is wrong. But we still like certain things, and we just can't figure out why. We still enjoy certain things, and I just can't seem to muster up the power or the strength in my own life to turn the tide On something that I recognize, maybe in my intellect, maybe even in my confession, maybe even in the way that I've associated my life with other people or integrated into certain places or activities, I realize that certain things are not right. But what I also realize is that even though it's not right, I'm still experiencing a certain delight in what's not right. And so at times, if we're going to be honest, I mean, we don't have to be. I mean, I- I'm going to be. At times we, we serve, and we're serving, but we're struggling. <laughs> we're serving, but we're struggling. And there are certain longings, there are certain appetites that we recognize that there just hasn't yet been a true, and by true I mean authentic. I'm not meaning like just some cover-up imagery, not just some abstract thing, but there hasn't been an authentic application and experience of God's grace that has properly delivered me from certain desires. I still have certain desires that are alive on the inside and I might not like it, but I still find delight in certain things that I know are not In accordance or in alignment with the way or quality of life that God is seeking to source by his own spirit and so there's this tug of war at times this battle this Romans 7 conflict where we know right but do wrong because sin is still longing to source certain pursuits sin is still longing to govern certain appetites right this is what paul references in philippians 3 he says some are out there preaching right it's like vain ambition it's all just chaos he actually calls them enemies of the cross and then in verse 18 he says but to these guys their god is their appetite like their god is their stomach whatever they're hungering after Whatever seems to put a demand in a fleshly way. It's what they still find delight in. And they just haven't been delivered yet from the desire associated with certain things that are still attached to an old way of life. And so we're serving, but sometimes we're serving and we're struggling. Right? We know We come and we sing songs, yet we go home and we're still battling with porn and perversion and lust and the entertainment that comes through like a sexualization of culture, right? We come and we give in offerings and we pray prayers and we may even serve in like sub or supplemental ministry categories here right? But the perversion is leading us to satisfy our life in a certain way, whether it's just visually or whether it's even physically, right? And physically meaning like entering into, maybe like masturbating and things like that. (laughs) I'm not laughing because I think masturbating is funny. I'm laughing because some of you are probably only going to remember that I said masturbating. (laughs) That's all you're going to remember. You're going to be like, oh my God, I can't believe But we're serving, but we're battling. Right? We come and we're a part of the greeting team or we play an instrument. And I'm not saying these things out of some sort of like desire for information or or whatnot. My heart is it's pure like before the Lord in in the things that I'm suggesting. I'm not suggesting by the examples that these folks are doing the things that I'm saying. I say that just to be clear. Right? We serve in, in different ministries, but yet we're bound by addiction. Right, And there's substances that, that we're craving and that we're giving ourselves to. Right? And sometimes nobody else knows because we suppress it really well. Because we don't want the dealings of our delights in order to derail us because of the life that we know we're supposed to be living. But it's real in communication. It's real by the externals and the activities. But there's still Corruption that's alive on the inside that I just haven't yet found a way to conquer. Right? And maybe it's not lustful. Right? Maybe it's not substance-oriented. Right? Maybe it's the satisfaction through rage and anger and violence and the demonstration of these things or being entertained by these things. Right? Maybe it's through business dynamics. Right? Maybe we lead a business and we're cheating in business deals. And we know that we shouldn't be. But it's satisfying because of the accumulation, because of the influence, because of the stature. Right? There's a host of things that could be possible because there is no limit. All things are possible when sin is sourcing your delights. There is no depth or degree to which darkness will limit itself. Right? Isn't this what God told Cain when obviously God recognized that he was contemplating murdering his brother? And he came to him in Genesis 4 and he said, hey man, listen, sin is crouching at your door. But what did he say? He didn't say, and look bro, like it just wants to entertain you once or twice a week. He didn't say like, like hey man, it's cool. Like it just wants to be a tag along every once in a while so that like seasonally you can become like tag team partners. He said, no, it's crouching at your door and it wants to master you. Like it wants a hostile takeover. Like sin is pleasurable for a season, but the enemy seeks to steal, to kill, and to destroy. Darkness is not trying to buddy up to you. Right? The time of Dating devils and dabbling with things that we believe we are controlling the conversation in has to come to an end, right? And this is the reality of the provision that God has provided to those of us that are actually born again and in Christ, is that where all things were possible on the one side of the conversation where darkness was immeasurable and what it was looking to produce in the mastering of any life that gave itself to it, now grace abounds so much greater and the light has pierced the dark night sky and God has issued power to not just confront those things or to seem to counter them by way of an opposite resistance. But he has issued power to deliver us, to conquer the old man, and to raise us up to a stature and quality of living that is only possible because of the grace that he gives. And all of the old ways of living can now be buried. I understand that might sound a little challenging Because you might say, well, Mike, you just don't get it, man. Like, oh, no, no, no. Oh, no, I get it. Oh, no, I really get it. Oh, I get it. I get it. I was in a very, very dark hole when God found me. Very dark hole. Drug addict. Drug dealing. Diseased because of the perversion that I was living in. Incurable blood disorder. Um, we would call it a sexually transmitted disease to which there's still no cure. Science still has no hope. Pills and medications still can't help. Right? Like a really ugly dark hole, violent, filled with rage giving myself over to the ways of the world with a consistent conditioning of my appetites to put a demand on me being satisfied in particular ways and finding a delight in darkness. I'm talking about a dark hole. But God, who was rich in mercy and through his tender loving kindness, Because of a dream that he has. And this dream moved him with desire to do something that none of us were ever going to be able to do. And now, because he has done what none of us were ever going to be able to do, we now get to do what we never would have been able to do, which is to live a life and a quality of life that is consistent in the cultivation of God's own nature so that now what we see coming out of us becomes natural to us and we're not having to get up and strive or get up and grit our teeth and and grip the cross and all of this crazy stuff. We don't have to get up and try to pretend that we're like Jesus and try to perform in front of people. It begins to flow because what God has done is now bubbling up on the inside. This power source for life is now issuing rivers of living water And these rivers of living water that are flowing up and bubbling up, they're actually saturating the entirety of who I am. And they're permeating all of what the expression of my life now is. And my life, the quality of my life, is being sourced by a divine life. And so the issuing or the demonstration of that divine life is natural now because what's natural is coming out of my new nature. And God has done it. And he has broken open the way for you and I to be radically changed. And I believe this morning God wants to bring proper deliverance to desires that we came in with. I believe this morning God wants a real experience of his grace in order to destroy To deconstruct and to properly deliver from the delight of certain ways that are associated with old appetites and an old way of living. Where we no longer find delight and are drawn. Now, whether we respond to it or not is not actually the issue, right? This is the spirit of adultery that Jesus mentions. He says, no longer is it simply just an external issue. He's like, you've been told that a man is not supposed to actually cheat on his wife, right? Enter into the act of adultery, right? That's Old Testament law. He's like, okay, cool. Well, I'll find a way around that. I don't actually have to do it, but I'm satisfied by the continual thinking about it. And he's like, no, no, we're going to deal with that too. Now, if you look upon a woman with lust... Right? So it's not even necessarily the acting on it or the engaging in it. But it's at times the delighting in a constant thought of being able to have or do something that we know we're not supposed to have or do. But that's the problem, is I know that, but that's not what my delight is telling me. Right? And so so we're married, but yet we can't stop looking at other people. Right? This is, it's an issue. Right? It's a problem. But I believe that God wants to actually touch us this morning. And that God wants to give power to those of us who want to hunger and thirst for righteousness. Where we're tired and we're weary of dabbling, of delighting believe God wants to give power to those of us that really want to live in the experience, right? Not not just the acknowledgement like, yes, amen, I agree with everything you're saying. Um, Agreement doesn't necessarily always mean that we're living in the experience of the things that we agree to, right? So I'm not saying, do you agree with what I'm saying, right? I've done nothing except probably preach all Bible to you. Right? Like, just all Bible. So I'm not asking if you agree. Amening this doesn't mean that we're actually living in the quality of consistent experience of this. And that's what I'm saying. Is that God this morning wants to give us grace. To touch us in the place of our appetites. So that we can be transformed in the hungers and the thirsts that maybe we came in with that are not revealing the quality of life that God desires for those that belong to His Son through this born-again experience. And I can't make that happen for you. God has to touch us by His Spirit. But I believe that this is the desire of the Holy Spirit this morning. So I'm going to ask you to stand up with me, and in a moment I'm going to ask you to respond in a certain way. And by that, what I mean is I'm going to invite us to um, step out from where we are and and come to the front and bring um, an offering to the altar. But before we do that, I'm going to pray something for all of us. And then I'm going to ask you to respond to God. Because I believe that if we would be transparent... Right now, this isn't going to mean like we're going to come up here and turn around one by one and confess to everybody in the room like (laughs) that would be tragic. (laughs) But what I am going to ask us to do is to be honest before the Lord. And I'm going to pray that he would shine a light from within us in the place of our appetites. And that he would speak to us about our hungers and our thirsts. And that when he speaks to us, that we would gather it and make the decision to come to the altar this morning. And to lay it before God as a sacrificial offering. And to pray that what we lay before the Lord this morning, that he would send his fire to consume our sacrifice. Right? In the Old Testament, when they brought the sacrifice, the fire wouldn't fall until the entirety of the offering had been laid on the altar. Right? That's why there was no compartmentalizing with it. It wasn't like, well, these three pieces for you, these two pieces for me. Like, well, you can have four, I'll take one. Like, it was, no, I want it all. And when you give it all to me, I'm going to send fire. Right? But now that's also to say that possibly for some of us, we've gone through years, maybe decades of discipleship to condition our appetites to be satisfied a certain way. And so to think that we could have a moment where we experience deliverance and it not also require the subsequent setting up our life to now live delivered, right? Because some of us, we experience deliverance, but then we forfeit it because we have a refusal to set our life up to live delivered. Right? We experience deliverance. God gives us power. He touches us. He does something that's authentic. But then we go back out and we keep living our life the way that we lived our life, which is the consistent conditioning that trained our appetites to be satisfied a certain way. So now that God has touched us, we have to then set our life up to be Trained or discipled to satisfy those appetites in a way that God says is right. This is our part. Set your life up to live consistently in what it is that I've done in you. Because there is a way of life that best stewards the grace that God has given us. And I believe that God wants to do that for us this morning. That he's going to touch you in the place of your appetite he's going to speak to you about particular things. And then once we have acknowledgement that he's going to give us grace to respond to his invitation, and that we're going to be able to bring an offering to the Lord this morning, and we're going to bring it to the altar. And hey, listen, if I didn't like mention something in my little list of things that i chose to reference right that doesn't create an exemption in the conversation we're like well you know what i don't struggle with that so that gives me my out he didn't say what i actually struggle with so that must not be something that god wants to deal with right like we we can be really silly at times right like that's super silly (laughs) right so let let's let's understand right god is speaking to all of us and when i ask him to speak to us He's going to say whatever he wants to say even if it's not something that I might have said. Right? So we're going to pray and then I'm going to ask you to come to the altar because I believe we're supposed to bring the Lord something this morning. Because I believe that he wants to do something in us. Alright? So let's pray for a moment. Um, Jesus, here we are. And Lord, we love you with all of our hearts. And... Our hearts are burning, Lord, because we want to give our life to you. You've given your life to us, and it's done something real on the inside. We are not what we used to be. And now, like Paul says, I am what I am by the grace of God. Lord, we're asking you for real grace this morning. To transform our lives. And we understand that that has to happen from the inside and then for it to get demonstrated on the outside. But Lord, the inside is where we need the help. In our hungering, in our thirsting, is where we need the help. It's in our appetites where we long for your help. It's in the way that we've conditioned our life to respond to certain cravings or invitations. Lord, we really need your help. And so this morning, I'm asking you all over the room to speak to our hearts. And anything, Lord, that you shine a light on, I pray that we would respond to you. Anything that you speak to this morning, Jesus, I pray that you would give us grace to bring it to the altar and to lay it down before you, God, as a sacrifice. Understanding That at times, we have a desire to be something different. But we also understand that we don't have the power in and of our own fleshly life to produce the outcome. Discipline alone will not properly deliver us from the delight that we find in certain old ways of living and thinking. Lord, we're not after some behavioral modification technique. We're not looking for some self-help mechanism. But this morning we're asking you, send your fire, Lord. This morning we're asking you for grace, for dynamic power by your Spirit to fill us afresh and conquer our old way of living. Evict it, Lord. Uproot it and deliver us from it. Deal with us in the place of our satisfactions, we pray. And may you give us grace to be something that we know we cannot be. You've made a way. Power for Passover. Provision for the experience of Exodus. It's time to come out and to be different, be separate. Thank you, Lord, for your grace.